Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Next week, an Iranian delegation will rejoin the indirect talks with its American counterpart in Vienna with the expressed aim of moving from proximity negotiations through European, Russian, and Chinese mediators to face-to-face exchanges with the Special State Department envoy for Iran Robert Malley and his team where the exact formula regarding the mutual return to full compliance with the 2015 JCPOA will be drafted and sent to Washington and Tehran for approval. Ahead of these talks, Mali has been touring the region for consultations and briefings in the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, and Israel. What is to be expected in Vienna, and are the Iranians finally ready for serious negotiations, rather than for merely scoring diplomatic points while they blatantly continue to enrich more high-grade uranium? To analyze this topic, we're joined from Washington, D.C. by... Dr. Oli Heinonen, who is the former Deputy Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency and a Distinguished Fellow at the Stimson Center in Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. Also joining our program from Central Israel is Mr. Meir Javed Anfao, who is an Iran lecturer at Reichman University. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Thank you. And here in Jerusalem with me in the studio is our TV7 editor-at-large and host of Watchmen Talk and Powers in Play, Mr. Amir. Oren Amir, give us a uh, uh, layout for the terms of today's discussions, considering the fact that we have already touched on this topic uh, about a couple of weeks ago. And, of course, this topic is ahead of a looming resumption of negotiations in Vienna. So uh, there are no um, new facts to hang on to, but uh, the atmosphere, uh, the optics, all of that is becoming clearer And there is this famous line, I believe it's uh, from Shakespeare, the lady doth protest too much. The Americans reassure us too much. And by uh, us, uh, I mean not only Israel, but also uh, the uh, UAE, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, other Gulf uh, partners. And they do it um, uh, through two uh, forms. One, as you mentioned, was the uh, Mali uh, visit to the region for talks with uh, decision makers and professionals. And the other was the Fifth Fleet in its uh, exercises and joint patrols, um, most recently with Bahrain, the UAE, and Israel uh, in the Red Sea. Uh, A very minor uh, exercise what is called visit board seize uh, operation, where um, uh, a vessel, a friendly vessel, stops uh, a suspected one, and there's a boarding party. They're looking for contraband, for weapons, what have you, and um, they seize it. So for the first time, several navies led by the... uh, U.S. Fifth Fleet, uh, headquarters at Bahrain, um, have joined, and this was, of course, publicized. And the whole idea was to show the uh, countries involved and the region that the United States is here. Which caught Israel by surprise. 
uh, the publicity. The publicity. Yes, uh, but uh, just like the uh, B1 flight over several countries um, a few weeks earlier, accompanied by fighter planes from various uh, forces, this was for show, showing the flag, showing presence, reassuring the locals here that even if, as now seems uh, possible and maybe even probable, the United States revives the deal with Iran, they are not going uh, to be abandoned. Now, it seems as if Saudi Arabia and other countries don't rely on, on this uh, reassurance. And some uh, parties here are already looking to cut deals on their own with Iran. Indeed. Well, I'd like to ask Mr. Javed Anfal first uh, with regard to Iran. To what degree are they serious about resumption of uh, uh, the so-called uh, nuclear talks? And, and are they really keen on realizing a JCPOA, which uh, then the Americans proclaimed on several occasions, would be serving as the foundation to both lengthen and strengthen a deal, uh, something which the Iranians were quite vehement about is not going to happen. Well, looking at it from an Iranian point of view, they do not trust the United States. Um, uh, the fact that uh, President Trump walked out, unilaterally walked out of the nuclear deal has uh, reduced the, the credibility and the faith which the Iranian leadership has in the U.S. Uh, uh, ability to keep a deal. Um, that's the way they see it. Uh, there's also the fact that there could be a U.S. president, uh, uh, another Republican U.S. president, and of course, don meaning Donald Trump. Uh, in in the next U.S. Uh, next U.S. election, let's not forget that President Biden is going to be, if I'm not mistaken, 82 by the next U.S. elections, uh, presidential elections, and his favorite his ratings are not favorability ratings. He's not very popular, and Kamala Harris has got even lower ratings, uh, approval ratings than President Biden. So um, I think the Iranians may also be looking at this and saying, okay, if we reach a deal uh, with the Americans, uh, what is there to stop? Um, Donald Trump coming and coming uh, in and walking out again. So they are asking for a guarantee from the from the American from the Biden administration that the U.S. will never walk out of the nuclear deal again. And of course, that's something that Biden or any other uh, president uh, in the U.S. can give Iran. So uh, for now, the the Iranian leadership. Um, is is trying to is 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 does not seem interested. Of course, Iran's isolation also. Uh, this is a very important point for your viewers. Iran's isolation is uh, very useful for parts of the regime because uh, while they isolate the Iranian economy from the outside world, they can continue with their uh, money laundering, counterfeiting operations, smuggling operations to bring goods into Iran to sell with, without paying taxes. To, to enrich themselves, and I'm not just talking about uranium here. So all in all, these factors have come to play, have come to form the overall strategy of Ayatollah Khamenei. And it seems that although they say they want to talk to the United States, looking at it from the outside, the conditions that they've set for resumption of talks, I mean, if you look at them, I mean, you've got to be kidding. Um, these are impossible conditions for any U.S. president to, to, uh, to meet. So... Uh, but the Iranian regime has got its own in reasons. More importantly, it's got its own interests. So we are where we are. 
Indeed, and of course, uh, the technical mechanisms that will have to be revived. Uh, and I'd like to ask you this, Dr. Heinonen. Uh, uh, we're li really looking at this from a perspective of uh, the constraints were breached on multiple occasions. Every time uh, when it happened, even when it still was in play, it seemed like the Iranians were looking for the, the red lines and to try and, and push them further and farther away. Uh, but uh, still, Director General of the International Institute, uh, the International Atomic Energy Agency, uh, uh, Mr. Mariano Grossi, he called on world powers to censor Iran. And yet we hear Said Hatibzadeh, the Iranian foreign ministry spokesman, saying that relations with the IAEA are grand. They're very good. And uh, they even invited uh, Grossi to come and, and visit Tehran and, and communicate about uh, all the various outstanding issues uh, which have been responded to. But then the IAEA responded back saying it doesn't add up. They're lying. So uh, what can you tell us about this unique relationship, if you will, between the one that should be monitored to the one doing the monitoring and not receiving all the tools nor the international backing to do their work in a proficient way? Thank you. As Mr. Grossi explained, Iran is not responding to his requests. And Iran will respond if the international community will make it to respond, for example, passing resolution encouraging Iran to come to compliance with its safeguards agreement. But we have two issues here, JCPOA and the safeguards agreement. And at this point of time, the major powers feel that the right way to do it is to get the JCPOA back on track and implement it as it was before. No matter what they say, but this is their uh, vision. And Iran sees the whole discussion just as a removal of what they call unjust sanctions. That is their goal, nothing else. So we will be now in a very interesting period because tomorrow on the 24th, the IAEA Board of Governors convenes in Vienna. Are they going to have a resolution and harder stand or not? Or is the IAEA sidelined so that it doesn't disturb the JCPOA process. And then next week, 29th, the talks in Vienna start. What exactly will be talked? I don't think we know at this point of time. Is it a continuation where they were left in uh, June? Or are there some new ideas how to proceed? Mm -hmm. So there are multiple uh, problems here. And Mr. Grossi, has got somehow in between. But the good thing, I think, is that he maintains the integrity of the IAEA Secretariat and IAEA process and requests support to that. And unfortunately, Iran is not responding to that. And then just a nuance. I read this statement by the Foreign Ministry of Iran, the relations with the IAEA. Yeah, this is, was a bureaucratic answer. Sure, every country has its mission in Vienna, and you convey a lot of letters and issues through the mission. But crucial issues are talked with the leadership, not mm -hmm. with the mission in Vienna. It's just a postbox or mailbox, nothing more. So I think that this visit of Grossi is long due. And I think that the focus is slightly wrong. 
Yes, it's a good to meet the foreign ministry people. It's a good to meet the atomic energy organization people. But let's look back to the history. Those days when we had progress with Iranian dossier, actually the IAS secretary had also talked with the Supreme Security Council people, because they are the ones who actually are controlling this process. So I hope that you, someone puts those people to the picture so that Mr. Grossi and his technical people can start real risk discussions. Indeed. While you were speaking, you spoke about the encouragement needed. Of course, there is the stick and the carrot, but I was writing you, Mr. Oren, encouragement equals discouragement on another angle. You know, there is asymmetry here. Um, those parties dealing with Iran, even when you include the United States, which right now ostensibly, nominally, is out of the picture, but uh, one suspects that there are, of course, back channels. Uh, uh, it is inconceivable that uh, CIA Director Burns, who took part in such channels earlier uh, during the Obama administration, doesn't have uh, uh, much to add and all uh, uh, we are hearing about is Rob Malley waiting to go back to Vienna. Just to remind our viewers, Burns was one of the two uh, interlocutors. Or interlocutors who traveled to Oman to meet with the Iranians and communicate about the 2015 deal. Indeed. And, and uh, maybe this is one of the reasons uh, Biden appointed him CIA director. But um, nevertheless, you have the Russians, you have the Chinese, you have the Europeans. Uh, even though uh, it may be too much to say that they are indifferent to Iran going nuclear because they are there, they have tried for almost 20 years uh, to work on it. Nevertheless, it's not an existential problem for them. And you see that even North Korea having nuclear weapons and in a way threatening South Korea and Japan, this is not looked at as an existential issue. Um, the uh, non-proliferation... From the American perspective. Even from the South Korean and the Japanese um, uh, positions, it is not urgent. Yes, they want, they want to alleviate uh, the problem, but they are not acting as if they are going to be attacked any minute now. Now, for Israel, Israel is not a party to these talks, but for Israel, potentially, down the road, not immediately, it is existential. And Israel's problem is that it must instill in the other parties the idea that it will not sit still because for the others, it's the proliferation. If uh, Iran has it, Turkey will have it, Egypt will have it, Saudi Arabia will have it, and uh, we will have a cascade of new nuclear countries, which is, you may say, a political science problem. For Israel, it's neither political science nor science fiction. It's Israel's existence, again, down the road, perhaps in three, five, ten years. Uh, but Israel is determined to do something about it. And there is a gap between Israel's interests and policy and all the rest. Indeed. Well, with that being said, the Iranians are obviously seeing this and they are understanding that Israel is serious. There is the CMT, the credible military threat. Uh, and therefore, Mr. Javed Anfal, to what degree do they believe Israel that it would utilize uh, the tools in order to uh, engage in something that would then trigger 
undoubtedly uh, a regional war, possibly even collapse the, the regime itself, uh, but uh, will bring about a chain reaction that may not necessarily be uh, within a rational calculation with the losses that may occur in a worst-case scenario, of course. To be honest with you, for now, it seems that the Iranian regime is, uh, is continuing um, uh, with its nuclear program without the overall concern that Israel, is, that Israel is going to attack. I think this is one of the reasons why they are continuing with the talks. Um, and I think the way they see it is that um, is that Israel did not do too well in the 2006 Lebanon war and Israel did not do, that's the way they see it, did not do too well in the recent war in Gaza. And of course, Hamas is, I mean, Hezbollah is far stronger than than Hamas in terms of the, its missile arsenal and the capability and the payload of its missiles. So for now, at least the, the regime is continuing, albeit slowly, towards actions which would have been inconceivable before. And I think the way they look at it is um, it's unlikely that uh, Biden would allow Israel to launch a strike against Iran's program, nuclear program, at least in the, in the, in the, in the short to medium term. So um, this is not something that is holding them back from, from making progress. Of course, they could be making much bigger progress. Um, so they, they take into consideration, I think what is one thing that they don't want to do it for now, it seems that they, they, they don't want to go too far in terms of their actions. So um, they are continuing, albeit at a, at a pace that's not going to justify an Israeli military strike, whether it will work. Um, I, I don't think, to be honest with you, the Iranian regime thinks the Israeli military strike is going to lead to regime change within Iran. There are much bigger reasons. <clears throat> the social the deteriorating economy. That's I mean I, I read a report recently that in Iran uh, paying rent has become so unaffordable because of inflation and rising costs that some families are are sharing are are sharing apartments. I mean this is something that happened in Soviet Union. I mean Vladimir Putin was brought up in a shared apartment incidentally with another Jewish family, but not in Iran. This is something that's new and it shows the depth of poverty that Iranians are increasingly facing. And that could be a, a potential reason for regime change. But that, again, even that does not seem to be uh, impacting Ayatollah Khamenei's decisions. But, uh, Mr. Owen, I'd like to ask you, uh, and excuse me, uh, Dr. Heinen, and I, I'd like to ask you immediately after that a, a question with regard to the nuclear angle. But perceived as not doing well in Gaza and Lebanon, I've seen the Lebanese war. Up, up close, to say the least. We've seen what happened in Gaza. As a student of strategy and seeing the school of thought adopted of Deputy IDF Chief of General Staff, Elzia Levy, doing a very concrete uh, planning and then executing it to the core, it is, for military terms, it is considered to be a masterpiece of strategy. Uh, of course, there are variable changes in every conflict, but can they truly perceive it this way? Well, the cases um, uh, may not be similar, and uh, the calculus in Israel of cost and uh, time and uh, population uh, resilience, this is uh, uh, not part of the equation in an Iranian operation. But the um, Iranian, the Islamic Republic leadership's um, view of Israel 
they uh, will underestimate Israel at their peril because there are at least two aspects which uh, have nothing to do or almost nothing to do with earlier campaigns. One is targeted killing, and they should take care of seeing what happened to Imad Munia and to Qassam Soleimani and to some nuclear scientists in their own country. And they can rest assured that Israel probably has a list of targets uh, to uh, decimate if the balloon goes up. That's one. The other one is cyber. And they have been given some indications in the mysterious events which took place regarding Iranian infrastructure, ports and what have you. And perhaps Israel, uh, not to be too simplistic about it, can um, switch um, a light, can, can uh, just uh, do something uh, by pushing a button, and what it wants to do will happen. Now, of course, it hasn't been tested, and it will be tested only um, in the virtual battlefield. But uh, they shouldn't be too cocky about it. Israel may act, but not kinetically, not with a, a huge bombing operation. Uh, obviously, if Israel sees it as the existential threat of reference, it will come up with some ingenious devices. Even if Israel doesn't utilize all of its 100% uh, of lethal power, uh, it has much more than, than what the Iranians it's realize. It's results-oriented, effects-based. It doesn't have to be um, a World War II bombing oh, campaign. Indeed. Uh, well, uh, Dr. Heinonen, I'd like to hear your perspective. To what degree are the Iranians advanced at this stage from uh, accumulated materials uh, with regard to its uh, uh, enriched uranium stockpiles and metal stockpiles, uh, metal uranium, that is, and, and the other components necessary to have enough fissile material for one nuclear bomb, considering the fact that the Iranians proclaimed, and you've stated this also in the previous time you've uh, visited our panel, uh, that uh, they have uh, declared themselves to be one of the uh, the only countries to possess enough uh, fissile material next to the P5, the, the five permanent members who officially are, or at the time of, of their designations, were the only countries to possess nuclear weapons. Iran is currently a nucle nuclear threshold state. It's mastering production of highly enriched uranium, which has gone up to the 60%. And currently they are experimenting even higher enrichments, even though they don't collect the material. They have developed advanced centrifuges with numbers we don't know, and we don't know where they are. They have a basic design for the nuclear weapon, as we have seen in the nuclear archives. A weapon which fits with the Sahab 3 missile and its re-entry vehicle. Missiles they have. We don't know the current status of that uh, project, how they developed this design further. But this has changed the picture. It's not anymore how quickly they can produce uh, high-ended uranium. The question is, what is on those other components? And therefore, when we talk about the JCPOA and people say that, oh, if we get the JCPOA back, 
we put Iran to the box and then IAEA can watch it. I'm sorry to say, but who will be in the box? I think it's the international community, not Iran. Because the only site to the Iranian nuclear program is through the IAEA to declare sites, not to the places like missile re-entry vehicle, testing, development, work on the high explosives and weaponization and adaptation of the Sahab 3 missile or some other missiles, because they have now other missiles which are flying further and have a payload capacity which can carry a nuclear device, particularly that smaller type of nuclear device which we saw from the archives. So I think that this is what we are facing and this is what the JCPOA uh, uh, negotiators are facing, how they are going to solve this one. Indeed. Because just going back will not solve the problem. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Javid Anfad, I'd like to hear your take on this. With, in the last six months, more than 31% uh, the depreciation de, um, de of uh, the real currency in Tehran. Uh, people are... Um, content, so to speak, with uh, the little they have, um, at least in uh, the perspective of the regime. But uh, at the same time, you see in the streets, people are being frustrated with natural disasters, with uh, financial difficulties, and afraid that the little they have will also disappear once the regime uh, confronts them uh, for potentially misbehaving. How do you see the regime at this stage uh, organizing its its uh, steps uh, ahead of those negotiations with the time looming so close? Well, to be honest with you, I'm not. And this is something that's very surprising. Um, I don't see President Raisi talking too much about inflation, which is uh, crushing uh, the average Iranian family. It's unbelievable how the price of goods, essential foodstuffs in Iran are increasing and the government is not doing much. Um, <clears throat> this is something that's, to, the question is what are they thinking? But I think um, they're under, I think overall, if I could put it in one sentence, is uh, they they believe that the intelligence agencies and the security agencies will, will, handle, will handle it. Indeed. The government, the regime will continue with its uh, current economic policy, current nuclear policy, which will lead to Iran uh, being isolated, the continuation of Iran's isolation. The people of Iran will continue to suffer. But Ayatollah Khamenei, I think it seems that he's uh, content with the capabilities of Iran's various intelligence agencies and, uh, and uh, security organizations. To, to handle any any demonstrations. I think this seems to that, be the, the, the key critical success factor in his, in his current strategy. Indeed, and with that, we uh, have come to a close of today's uh, uh, program. I'd like to thank Dr. Heinonen, Mr. Javed Anfal, and Mr. Oren for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.